selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. You know, <laughs> okay, it's actually just so funny because what I love about Shopify is no matter how huge and massive you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control, yes, daddy, and take your business to the next level because we're business women. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash book club. That's shopify.com slash book club, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash book club. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Celebrity Book Club. Oh, Connie, another failed audition. Doubt I'll get a callback for that episode of Friends. Ugh, Matthew Perry's so sexy. Sorry, what was that, Lauren Graham, my housemate in Los Angeles in 1994? I'm just trying to fax my headshot over to CAA. Oh, that thingamajing? Literally, what will they come up with next? I just got a latte from Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Oh, Lauren, uh, I could really use a latte right now. I'm exhausted from staying up all night learning lines to Jurassic Park, (laughs) which I didn't get. Well, probably because you haven't eaten because you're so much sexier than I am. Oh my God, stop, Lauren. I'm only a little bit thinner than you. That doesn't mean I'm going to have a more successful career overall. Speaking of, I'm craving a Subway submarine sandwich. Is that so bad? Oh, you're naughty. Who gave you permission, Lauren? Uh, maybe my new wonder bra. Why is it that we as women in Hollywood have to stuff our bras with, what is it, Kleenex, chicken cutlets... I mean, come on. No, seriously. I would like to put Danny DeVito in one of my bras. Meanwhile, Danny DeVito walks right onto the Paramount lot and gets cast in the latest sitcom at NBC. They don't say, hey, Danny DeVito, why don't you go on the new Zone diet? The double standard really sucks for us badass, cool 26-year-old chicas in L.A. But at least we have each other. Okay, so what do you want to get at Subway to share? (laughs) Well, I was thinking a super low-fat option. Maybe we get their tuna salad and we act like little kitty cats. Meow. Who's that knocking at the door? It's all your friends, you filthy whore. Your husband's gone and we've got books and a bottle of wine to kill. It's Hollywood. It's books. It's gossip. I'm shook. It's memoirs. It's martinis. It's Studio 54. It's Celebrity Book Club. Come read it while it's hot. Celebrity Book Club. Tell your secrets, we won't talk. Celebrity Book Club. No boys are allowed. Celebrity Book Club. Club. Buzz me in, I brought the Cuervo. Hey, hey best, best friend. friend. I'm in need of so much coffee today. What Insert about you? Insert Java here. Oh my God. I am so exhausted from my job, life, work, men, my daughter, you name it. No, seriously. Not to mention my mother-in-law. If one more thing comes on my desk, I'm going to throw it out. Move to Maui. Oh, now that's the dream. I would kill to go to Hawaii. (laughs) 
Surf, I love sun, coffee. and margaritas <laughs> with my girlfriends. What's better? But unfortunately, that's not always how life works. No, sometimes you have to get on the struggle bus and start a podcast <laughs> in New York City where the city tests your limits. <laughs> Um, why are we being so basic? Because we're reading the book made by one of the basic queens of our generation. Kind of kind like of not our generation. The, she's really not our. She's like the most iconically Gen X person. Yeah. Even though she like invented millennial culture in this way. It's so true. Because she invented being like, erp, that was weird. Like she invented like derp face. Yeah. And, and just being, being like, like self-aware and like calling yourself out for just like, I'm sorry that I want to stay in with a huge mug of coffee and a blanket <laughs> yeah. and seven cats and watch movies with my daughter. Yeah, I'm weird. And being like, oh, great. It's my ex, Blorgan Medorf McUgly Boots just called. No, she's so <laughs> McUgly Boots. And yet... She's technically Gen X. Because you think of Gen X, you think like more alt, but right. she's never alt. But I guess like elders have to create. If we have seen Taller Than Others, it is because we stood on the shoulders of giants. Thank you for saying that. Okay. Literally like the <sighs> inventor of pumpkin spice culture. Star of Gilmore Girls, which ran for seven seasons on ABC. It seems oh so ABC. Oh my God. <laughs> UPN. Oh, close, but like actually, like WB. Oh, WB. It's so WB. It's it's so WB. Most, it like defined the WB. Right. I mean, Dawson's defined the WB. Right. And so did the frog. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're talking about, about you know her as Laura Lake Gilmore, of course. You also know her as like reprising Laura Lake Gilmore on that show Parenthood. Yeah, which she talks a lot about, and we'll get into. Yeah, we'll get into Parenthood. Okay, Lauren Graham, everyone. And her fourth book. Have I told you this already? Stories I don't want to forget to remember. New York Times bestselling author of Talking As Fast As I Can. Which is, of course, a reference to the fact that they talk fast on Gilmore Girls, which is yeah. kind of all that I knew about the show going into this episode, being someone of having not seen the show experience. Yeah. And I was about to share with you and our producer, but I was like, I'll save this for this, is when my father started binging Gilmore Girls late in his life, which is a really normal activity to do for a strong, heterosexual Italian-American man. When you talk to your doctor and your lawyer about end-of-life care, make sure to list the shows that you want to binge that you haven't yet. And his first observation was like, oh my God, they talk so fast. And he was like, they almost talk as fast as you and Gia. And I feel like he felt that connection because mm. he was like, they talk so fast. And he was always yelling at us being like, stop talking so loud. Right. And stop like talking so fast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, oh, like you're like girls talking right. fast. Just being like, girls, girls, <laughs> I can't stand you. Being like, men, men, coffee, coffee. And he was like, you should time yourselves like talking and then like compete it against a Glamour Girls scene. Oh, wow. Guinness Book of World Records. Vibes. Yeah, who talks faster? I mean, people say that we talk fast. It is people true. People say this very show. So, who's the Lorelai? Who's the Rory? Oh, in our relationship? Yeah. Oh, that kind of is interesting. I feel like you think you're the Lorelai. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> guilty. Because <laughs> your... I love, like, coffee and, like, I work at a hotel. <laughs> yes, you famously work at a hotel and you love huge mugs of coffee. And I'm, like, such a daughter and I'm always just being like oh I'm always like applying to college <laughs> you know what it's like because you're so BBN and early decision and you're being I, like oh like I actually don't want to go to Yale yeah I guess and you're being just like stay in and watch movies with me <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm like stop like, doing your homework isn't it movie night popcorn okay but at the same time no, I I'm feel like I'm kind of Lorelai because I'm being like yeah. wait a minute like come over and watch movies and I'm being like wanting to be naughty and you're being like Mom, like, I actually want to, like, get this grant proposal done. And I'm being a little bit more like, let's play hooky. No, it is so true because, like, I think I am being more coffee. But I feel like you're the one that's like, Lily, you can sleep when you're dead. We're watching movies. We're going out. Like, what is this? And you're also, like, making fun of me for taking so long to write a grant proposal, which is also (laughs) so, like, me sharpening my pencils, being, like, Right. Oh, I gotta like, get this down. Right, you're being like so neurotic daughter applying <laughs> yeah. for college, and I'm coming in and just being like, okay, wrap this up, bitch. <laughs> Popcorn o'clock. Let's go. You're also like way more Lorelai because you're like, do you have a flirty relationship with like a barista at Honeymoon? <laughs> <laughs> the way I'm not flirting with any of the baristas no, at Honeymoon. I'm, like, I'm saying you, it's like a grunt. No, I wish I did. Listeners, I was just explaining to Stephen who Luke was and that he was a grumpy diner worker who wears a backwards hat. And I'm saying like that could be a sexual fantasy of yours that like you are flirting with like a grumpy guy who wears a hat. 
Oh, no, for sure. If I make eye contact with a man ever, like, it's flirtatious. Yeah, like, let's <laughs> and go. And he wants it, <laughs> and he just doesn't know it yet. Where I feel like if I was interacting with a Luke type, I'd be like, okay, well, he hates me. I'm not going to, like, continue going to his diner for, like, 900 years. So anyway, Lauren Graham, she is an actress. She's an actress. What's crazy about this book is she is Lorelai. It's just her, like, talking fast and being like, that was ridiculous. I need more coffee. But, like, she's, I'll say it, hope you're not listening, she's not as funny as Lorelai. Ooh, well, she doesn't have a team of writers. She kind of just has herself. Well, but I think it's also the playing off something. It's like when it's just the talking fast woman and she doesn't have the Rory or the stuck-up mother to, like, play against. But, like, to give you an example, so this whole book is, like... Silly essays. And she does go into some anecdotes. She tracks her career a little bit from starting out in New York City and going to acting school and then moving to LA and rooming with Connie Britton. How cool is, I mean, that is so our fantasy, just like two 90s actresses are rooming together. No, I mean, every day I'm just like, we were born too late. (laughs) Literally, we were wrong generation. It's so sad that we weren't actresses living in West Hollywood (laughs) together in a shared apartment. But so like in one of the first essays of the book, she is talking about how she's totally forgetful. And she discovers, like, through genealogy.com or something, that her, like, Irish ancestor's, like, family crest has the words ne oubli on it, which, if you speak French, you know, means don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, um, uh, this information is disheartening and that it tells me it has been predetermined by birth that I will never get any better at not losing my keys, but also comforting that it teaches me I am not alone, but in fact come from a long line of forgetful ancestors who were so noted for this characteristic that they decided to embrace it and proudly take it up as their mantle. Like, and you're like, okay. Like, he's just being so like nerdy McNerd pants. No, like, there's like um, imaginary keys that are lost. Yeah. She's very like daddy's girl because her mother, who sounds so iconic, just like kind of like bounced and bounced, moved to London when moved she was to four. London, like worked for like small Japanese designer stores, had a band called Princess. What's um, it called? Or like the Princesses or something, or like shocked. She says it at the end when she basically reveals that her and her mom didn't have a close relationship. She basically, she would like, you know, go visit her mom in London like once a year and like have kind of a fabulous week with her. But they Mm. never like really talked about why she left. Yet it's accepted for men to leave. Right. Well, I thought one of the more revealing parts of the book, not necessarily that interesting, but revealing part was when she's talking about how when she's like, always getting interviewed. She's kind of admitting that she's not that famous. And no, so I she's love always that. being like, yes. when I'm getting interviewed by Parade Magazine or <laughs> Entertainment <laughs> Weekly, like a couple times in 2003. Like, because they emailed me at 8 a.m. and I'm sure Nicole Kidman got the 1 p.m. interview. So I appreciate this. But yeah, she sometimes says like, and all my interviews, and it's very like, okay, all like kind of maybe 15 total <laughs> interviews that you've ever had to give. But she says people are always asking her, like, how are you so good at playing a mom? Because, like, that's her main role on the show when your parents divorced early and your mom lived overseas for so much of her life. And she was mostly raised by her dad. She goes, I always struggle to answer this question because there's a real answer, but it might hurt someone's feelings, like those of her mom's mom, who was still very much in my life until she passed away this year at age 101. There's the fake answer I sometimes gave where I framed having been left by my mother at age four as a positive thing, something that contributed to my being more self-sufficient. But because my answer that tried to answer the really obvious question, felt too vulnerable, and it was way too long, and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, most journalists weren't looking for the complicated answer, but it was just me and my dad. And I did see her here and there, so it wasn't like I didn't have a mother at all. And I was very close to her mom, my grandmother, and I had other close family members. And my dad remarried, and my stepmother played a big part in my later teenage years. And I was a generally creative kid who loved to read, and I've been imagining myself in other people's lives since I wonder what it would have been like to be one of the bunnies in Watership Town. And that part of my brain is probably what led to me to become an actor in the first place. That I've never thought of being a mom as simply a character trait, and there's moms of all kinds. And being a mom is just one of the given circumstances that consider in order to play any character but not only one no one's asking George Clooney if he actually went to medical school to play a doctor and so then she's just being like okay double standard but like she's basically saying like okay no my mom wasn't around but like I had my dad and like that was mom vibes and so was my grandma but like also 
Well, it also makes sense because like Our she invented the role of the cool mom. Like her whole thing is like she's the daughter. Like well, I know in Gilmore Girls. Well, and it's so... like it's like that's actually the more interesting answer, right? Like it's like, and that's what she's kind of not psychoanalyzing. Right, it's like, it's like she's it's like, playing the woman kind of who doesn't have a mom because like... Yeah, it's like it's very much because you didn't grow up with a mom. I feel like there's that you're been a cool mom. this whole thing where it's being so like Lorelai Gilmore like, right, isn't being the perfect mom because she is being like, let's get coffee at 10 p.m. Like, right. And she's being like, no, like, who do you think I should date to like her 14-year-old? Yeah. And is always telling her like not to go to college. They can like have more movie nights. You know, in some ways, because yeah. she's eternal daughter. Yeah, she is eternal daughter. And she, okay. Because when you don't have a mother to supplant, right? When your mother's gone, you don't have anyone's mantle to take up. So you stay in Daughterland. Mm, Daughterland. Mm, Daughterland. A new thriller, <laughs> sci-fi thriller. And then on Gilbert Girls, I'll just explain her whole thing is that she has like a really snobby, like stuck-up waspy mother. And that's her rebelling against having the stuck-up like waspy mother. Which is just like the most sorry not to be so like sitcoms are like predictable. <laughs> but like literally every sitcom is always just like, there's a ridiculous mother. Who's coming to town for one episode? And everyone's like, oh, my mother. And she's totally fabulous and wears a boa and she's super judgmental. I actually can't think of a show that doesn't have that mother <laughs> yeah. character. So Lorelai Gilmore, I mean, I actually can't remember her name. It's Lauren Graham. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have kids, but she's always being like, yes, I'm a godmother. And like, yes, like my nieces are my grandchildren. But like half the book is also about her friendship with Mae Whitman. Yeah, which I, I want to dive into. Who I didn't know. Yeah. So Mayweather, of course, is like the star of one of my other favorite TV shows. Did you watch Parenthood? No, she was in that show about a group of women who like get associated with a gang, and they're like suburban moms who. Oh like, wait, it's like Retta in that. Yeah, it's Retta Chastain. And May it's called Whitman. like Bad Moms or something. It's called like Good Girls Gone <laughs> Bad okay. or something. I'm like, it was very like three seasons, and like by the third season, it was kind of like. Okay, it's probably getting so ridiculous. They're like getting in and out of prison and like everyone has a gun. And everyone has a gun and, <laughs> and you're a little bit like, okay, so the gang hasn't killed them yet and it's like a big gang member being like, yo, you gonna die <laughs> if like you don't get me the money and it's kind of like, that was the last season. Yeah. No, it's hard for like shows with that tone. I feel like Claws had a similar tone yes. where it's like <laughs> so, sassy and fabulous, but also crime. Yeah, crime and like super repetitive of the yeah. first season. <laughs> There's kind of nowhere to go. No, Parenthood was like. But you're saying Mae Whitman's on like Good Girls Gone Bad or whatever? Yeah. Okay. And so Lorelai, Lauren Graham, I actually get, she's like, spends like a full chapter talking about how her and Mae Whitman like. Tried to launch a podcast. Tried to launch a podcast. <laughs> I have the pain. And like, okay. couldn't. We decided to call it 5030, a nod to the 20 year age gap in our ages. We were excited to have the backing of a successful company and the creative input from an experienced producer. This is literally us so far. Yet almost immediately thinking about and working on the podcast became dot, 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 a lot less fun. What had flowed organically now felt stuck somehow. And the dozens of ideas it seemed we'd been having daily pretty much dried up. In my little graduation speech book, in conclusion, don't worry about it, I mentioned some early advice that always stuck with me when I was first starting out. Do every job as if you're being well paid. That advice helped me to take pride in my work, whether I was waitressing or painting fences at summer stock or holding a tray as a cater waiter at the 100th wedding. But this was something I hadn't encountered before. Do a job as if you're still only doing it for fun, even though there are now deadlines and expectations and money attached. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me that there was a reason most other podcasts were structured by rewatching or recapping TV shows or movies or hosting weekly guests. I she's, died of She's that. actually dragging us yeah. for like needing the structured content every week. She's like, oh, you need to be like recapping like fabulous 90s <laughs> women. You need to so recapping so my like dumbass <laughs> book, you stupid bitch, because you can't come up with a conversation topic every week. Like any talk show, the personality of the host is important, but it's a lot of pressure to rest a whole show on two people chatting in segments about whose sentence is sadder. And it's a little like, I mean, I get it, but I also think that like, mm, she and her friend are just being kind of awkward, make awkward boots. No, like, well, then it also sounded like she was the one who was actually too stressed out about it. And she was like, and I actually addendum, I totally think Mae Whitman could have a podcast on yeah. her own. But like, I was the one that struggled. And like, it was a little bit like apology letter to Mae Whitman kind of being <laughs> like. Well, but I'm sure like, you know, podcast is a foreign medium to certain people of a certain age. Yeah, But I honestly, I, if I 
I was wondering media or whatever, I would have bought their podcast because part of it was going to be like, and then they were going to have Lori from Shark Tank on. Yeah, I'm a little bit like, again, these are just like, so sounds like every podcast where there's like some famous woman involved and like there's some producers involved and it's happening and there's 12 episodes and the host right. is forgetting that she has a podcast. And, and it's, it's Lorelai like driving on the 405 to Mae Whitman's and Mae Whitman is like, Oh, I forgot. But I feel like Lorelai is also forgetting. She's getting so nervous and then putting it off. She's like spilling coffee and being like, I just think that, like, here's what I think. I I think think that if you're over 50, you can have a podcast solo that runs for eight episodes. But I don't know if you can have a podcast with someone who's 30. Then there's a full another part about her and Mae Whitman's relationship where she's like, yeah, you can never tell her age difference except for when, like, I said I was going shopping at Neiman Marcus. Oh, and, and she hadn't heard of Neiman's. Yeah, and then she's like, and I told May Whitman to like throw out all of her like fugly tie dye hoodies from a vintage store in Echo <laughs> Park. <laughs> and actually, that's why you are Lorelai and I'm May Whitman, and you're no, being I, like Lily Camo's over. No, I'm being like Camo's <laughs> over. over. We're going your, to Neiman's. Get yourself an adult cashmere sweater. And you're just being like, look at this awesome new hoodie I got. <laughs> It was that summer. That summer I started using Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth makes elevated loungewear and amazing, luxurious, soft bedding that surpasses even the finest hotel sheets for a restful night's sleep on your travels or at home. I love Cozy Earth so much that I got it as a present for my spouse. And the things that happened on that bed, you wouldn't believe it. I got their joggers and oh my God, it almost feels like you're nude, better than nude. It feels like you're swimming in the most luxurious ocean. So stay cool and comfy during long flights with Cozy Earth's temperature regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew, adding mm, a touch of style to your travel ensemble. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code CBC at checkout to get 35% off. And let them know we sent you after checkout, okay? Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Celebrity Book Club. Okay, I want to read this part that is just like, This is what's fun about her and being so 90s actress. 
and talking about the invention of the Wonder Bra, which I'm like, okay, 90s kids, does the Wonder Bra like, still exist anymore? Because big boobs are like out now, but I feel like they're coming back in because it's so Emrata and like Lana and like yeah, big natties. Ultimately, I don't think tits have ever gone out. Oh my God, tits have been I out. I know they've been out, but it's just like, Men do be liking tits, and that's never stopped. No, that is true. But in, you know, the heroin chic era. <laughs> okay, the heroin chic era was the 90s. But even in the recent times when, like, thin started to come back in, like, three years ago and as, a, like, a reaction against, like, Kardashian, like, land. Yeah. But, like, even then, I feel like it was still being, like, thin plus emrata. Like, thin plus tits, <laughs> thin, you know what I mean? Thin plus. <laughs> thin plus. <laughs> But after just a few weeks in Los Angeles, I spoke fluent Wonder Bra and had purchased my first pair of rubbery boob blobs. No one has ever called anything besides chicken cutlets. These acquisitions didn't seem strange to me at the time. They seemed mandatory, or at least highly recommended. Every audition room I entered was filled with actresses with bigger boobs than mine. I remember thinking I'd better catch up. It felt like everyone knew what sort of boobs they were supposed to have and really also had them. And then this is the part where her and Connie Britton stay. This is so fab. Their friend is like, oh, I'm getting divorced. You can stay at my, like, empty apartment that my husband and I used to own. But he doesn't know. So they just squat. Yeah. And then when she's like, oh, the, my husband might be in the neighborhood. So, like, turn off the lights and hide in the backyard. If he's just, like, driving around. <laughs> yeah, like, you need like to Beverly hide. Beverly Hills and being, like, checking up on his old house but, like, not going inside. Anyway, but they were being fab for sure. For a while. And so one of her first roles was the show we loved, which I want to discuss, Caroline in the City. She gets a role as, like, someone's annoying girlfriend on it. Yeah, she gets a recurring role. I love the part where she's, like, at Fred Siegel or something. Yes. And, like, the security guard comes over and he's like, um, ma'am, I just want to let you know there's a lot of paparazzi outside. And, like, we have a side entrance you can exit through. And she's like... Okay, so, like, not to pry, but, but like, like... who else is here? I assume they're not here for me just because I recently booked a recurring role in Caroline in the City. And he's like, Gwen Stefani is dropping right now. No, and that's why, like, she is iconic. No, and she's like, so iconic for admitting that she's not that famous. Right, and it's like, it's but it's still being like, yes, I just booked a recurring on Caroline in the City. So we were just mentioning this before the show started... Caroline in the City is like one of those 90s kind of NBC sitcoms that was just so like cosmopolitan women working at magazines in New York. You had Mad About You. You had, I mean, Frasier I mean, was, was Seattle, it was, but it was still like. And it was in the musty Thursday block. Yeah. And then, you know, Suddenly Susan. Friends. Will and Grace. Like all of these New York shows. You know, again, Frasier was Seattle, but it was still about, like, you know, sophisticated people. In a big open concept apartment. Yeah. With a small galley kitchen. And one in which, you know, their connection to the city was vital. You know, it was all about being immersed in culture and art. And having friends. And it wasn't like, oh, you have to get married. And Caroline, the city, all now that I'm thinking about it, one of the first WFH. <laughs> Spotlighting Wait, WFH. so insane. Shits. She predicted COVID. So she had like a drafting table. Yeah, she was doing her She like, was always on. sitting. So it was about a cartoonist, Caroline Duffy, 90s kids know, played by redhead, what is her name? Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. And yeah. she was never in anything else? She was in the original Ghostbusters, I think. Okay, IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's actually one of my favorite websites. <laughs> But I was looking at photos of it, and so the plot is she's a cartoonist, sits at a big drafting table. She has a sassy Italian friend who lives across the hall. Hmm. And then there's, like, the colorist who's, like, hot, and he's always picking up, like, her cartoons from her. And then there's another guy in the mix. And I'm like, she's so butch. Like, it's literally about Alison Bechdel. I'm like, this is a show about <laughs> lesbians. She has short hair. She has short hair, and her friend also kind of has short hair and is a struggling actress. Yeah, I mean— Cartoonist is an extremely lesbian profession. Yes. Looking back on 90s sitcoms with a queer lens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to come to that talk you're giving. Yeah, I'm hosting. Um, it's a virtual metrograph. It's a, it's a virtual <laughs> metrograph, like in conjunction with like Akron University. <laughs> oh, I guess I just wanted to say, like, cultural point, I will write an essay on this, but like, we don't have so many like multi cam sitcoms with laugh track anymore. But like, what does like qualify as a sitcom in like nowadays is like a modern family is a blackish is a parenthood which Lauren Graham was on later is like that show Mom with Alice and Janney that no one's seen and like these shows are all like very suburban 
they all take place in like a big house and like you don't know where the city is. They're not like connected to their I think it's because like young urbanites, yuppies, as you may call them, like us, used to watch network television. Right. And the only people that watch network television now are Are. old people. Yeah. So they're like, let's make the mom and the reboot with like the cop from Everybody Loves Raymond where he's like an uncle (laughs) and it's on CBS. And then it's like the other two, which is a sitcom and they do live in New York City, but is like, you know, more elevated. That's on HBO. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. It's not necessarily a reflection of like the culture changing, but the demographics that's watching network television is changing. Yeah. Because obviously like more people live in cities than ever. And America is more urbanized (laughs) now than it has been in any point history. Abbott Elementary is the only like city-based sitcom I can think of, but it's like about a school. And is in Philly, and you like are yeah. rarely seeing their like apartments. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not so apartment like, based. It's not so city based. Yeah, but like, it's not about yuppies. Please bring back the sitcom of just like, sorry, a single woman living in a huge. Well, apartment. I guess you know you could say that like girls like was the realist version of that, right? And then you know Lena really covered all the bases with that show, and so there hasn't really been like a city driven show since then city-driven show yeah and so basically like caroline duffy was a precursor to (laughs) dunham (laughs) and i would say like luke on gilmore girls was a precursor to adam driver on girls right as being like barista angry barista but everyone's like yeah and everyone's like he's so hot he's so hot okay so i wanted to talk about an interesting tidbit so there is some like slight Tea. It's not like tea. It's more her talking about it's the industry, just, yes, which is it's fun. honesty. Is yes. what it is. And we keep it brief, but we love <laughs> we love honesty. We love here. honesty on this show. So she has this whole chapter about how she was like gonna be on a late night show, and like she was supposed to be after Ryan Gosling. He was gonna be the first guy. She was gonna be the second. And then Ryan Gosling could not confirm, so they bumped her. Because basically, like, she's not that famous and she couldn't be, like, the lead guest and they needed someone more famous and a man to go first. Classic. And she was being like, "Mm, why do all these late night shows that are hosted by men have to have, like, a man on the show? And I do agree with that. I feel like, you know, the most exciting chemistry on a late night show is between a female guest and a male host. Yeah. I mean, it's the sexual attention. Yeah. It's like, that's what's fun. At the same time, though, she is not that famous. So, like... True. They do need someone. But they could have had a more famous woman in front of her rather than Ryan Gosling. They were going to get Sharon. Like, Lauren Graham is freaking out and is being like, can you believe I was no, like, she almost then, no, on she, the then show No, she was literally, the first guest was a man and the second guest was a woman. And sadly for all of us, neither of them were Cher. And my eyebrows never got a call back. Because, <laughs> like, she also was trying to get her eyebrows waxed. And then, like, she couldn't. So this is the part that I guess I thought was kind of tea. So she's talking about award shows, blah, blah, blah. The best hair and makeup people get booked up as well, and in some cases are put on hold waiting for a special client. I had a makeup artist whom I loved working with tell me she probably wouldn't be seeing me for a while because Nicole Kibben had booked her for the year. That was For the whole year. Like, how would that even work? Is she on call like some sort of ER doctor? Who pays for her to be taken off the market? It doesn't matter exactly, but when you lose a makeup artist or any other artist, someone more important than you... It can't help but feel like you've been a little bit broken up with by a guy who traded up to a hotter girl. T. I love the idea, though, that Nicole is literally, like, pulling her off the market. On retainer. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't want to be Nicole and being, like, checking in about her schedule. No. And she's like, and then Are she's like. Oh. And then it's so queer exchange. You're going back and forth. Like, I could do Thursday, but I couldn't do Tuesday. And Nicole is texting back from her ranch being like. Thursday, 3.15. Yeah. The other fun part, I feel like, about this with that was kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say tea, but, like, she goes into, <laughs> no, which every, is, like. This book is very, I wouldn't say tea. I w- yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> say tea because it's, like, her honoring the Nora Ephron, you know, the Dorothy Parker. And she honors her in a chapter. It's, like, female Oh, I female love that she dedicated yes. a whole chapter to Nora Ephron. To our favorite book. Yeah. And the chapter is called, I Feel Bad that About Nora Ephron's Neck. Snack. It's. Pretty silly. Yeah. And it's her talking about going to all of, like, the retreats and the cleanses, but being so Lorelai about it, being like, sorry, where's the chocolate? Yeah. (laughs) After the seaweed wrap. And she's just doing all of these, like, whatever, seven-day retreats that are $6,500. I mean, I heard Beyonce goes to one in Switzerland, and they do have television. (laughs) I'll see you there next year. And, like, she's always being like, yeah, so before I go to a retreat, I go to a Burger King, and I order every single thing on the menu. that part where she's like, and then me and 
maybe it's Mae Whitman, maybe it's another one of her chicas, like go to some retreat. And they're like, and we open the door and all the Burger King wrappers spilled out and the kind gentlemen like grabbing our bags pretended not to notice. And it's just kind of like, well, I don't think the bad guy cares that you're eating burger. It's not like he's judging you being like, oh, like he's like so wellness pilled and being like, yeah, we're so calm here. Like, okay, but have you ever been to a wellness retreat? No, I haven't. And maybe the porters are totally wellness pilled and they are judging like, you for I feel like, like they having a burger. They could be but... coming out in like such a tunic with like a shot of like reishi tea. Okay. And they're being so like, welcome, Lauren. Right. And then it's so many rappers. And it's like sort of like vaguely Eastern, like ashram inspired, but not. Right. And she's just being like, oh God, this is so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Would you go on one of those retreats? I'm always just like, that sounds so not fun. Hardly like, wants to do more than anything in the world just to reset. Right. And she talks about the challenge. Of the reset. Of the reset and of like not eating and like just doing tea and like not being on your phone and like all that. Like, I think that could be so beneficial. And of course, like in such a friend of the pod, Mickey Blanco, where I'm like, yes, I want to go to Vietnam and hike for two weeks and fast and, and fast and gets so sinewy um i don't love the idea of spending like eighty five hundred dollars for it that's the thing where i'm lost where it's like it's eighty five hundred and then like the food sounds like not that good and then there's no tv and i know it's about unplugging <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to like go to like so many like speakers here you know what i would want to do do you want would you want to do the charles rogers I, that's what i'm saying the hoffman would... institute where you're getting like michelin meals but also not on your phone but but that feels a little more interesting rather than just kind of like some basic yoga mud wraps and like going to see like someone who was on oprah last season talk like i want to be forced in a room and like screaming what i actually want is to go to a spot where you get massaged from 9 a.m till 9 p.m <laughs> and that's how i would not eat and so that's how i'm doing the fasting and resetting <laughs> my body i'm dead a nine <laughs> no how many hours is that i don't know 12. but 12 <laughs> 12 hours i feel like that's like bad for you <laughs> Like, I was like, you would get, like, really dehydrated. Oh, you would get so dehydrated. No, and it's like you come out of this, like, 12-day, 12 12-hour 12 massage thing, and it's very, like, you're on the brink of death. And then there's, like, a Netflix doc about this, like, right. massage and you, week. And you do an ice bath or whatever, and, like, you are now in a cult. <laughs> oh, I wanted to read this part about her running into an ex because she's being just, like, so, like, she's kill not, me. She doesn't really talk about her love life at all. Maybe she discusses it in her other free New York Times bestselling books, but... Okay, that was my thing about this book, where I was like, she spends an entire chapter talking about, like, I mean, which is great for her, like, how she directed an episode of, like, Mighty Ducks, the aviation activation, and it was a little bit like, let's skip. Well, first of all, she gives all these, like, boring, like, tips on how to direct. And she keeps on saying, Mighty Ducks for Disney+. Plus. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally her Disney Plus show. And I'm like, thanks for this wiki how on, like, directing. It's so boring. And then she keeps being like, and I was so nervous to direct. And I watched a trailer for (laughs) Disney plus Mighty Ducks 2, like whatever, this TV sequel. And I'm just like, I don't know if you had to be so nervous about directing this show. It seems pretty straightforward. Like the stakes are not really high here. That's what I thought too. I was like, I can't believe like you're such a loser of being so nervous for talking about directing Mighty Ducks for Disney plus. But then I was like, take it back a second, Lily. Like, I would be so nervous if I... (laughs) Grow a pair. Oh, you don't think you'd be nervous at all if it was your first directing ever and you were always in front of the camera? I guess if I had been working on this show already for like a season on Disney Plus and and starring it and like pretty familiar with like all of the characters and like the scenes and the sets and like how the episodes go, I think I'd be able to say like, Okay, places, everyone. Like, we're gonna shoot this scene in the coach's office. Like, <laughs> this is insane. These are some of her like directing advice where it's just like, you don't need it to be perfect. You need it good. 35, move the camera. It's like, oh, thanks, yeah, she babe. says this over and over again. Oh, actually, this I found interesting about the shooting of Gilmore Girls. She says that they did. Oh, they did Wonners? Yeah, the Wonners. Yeah. So that's kind of like a walk and talk. Like, you see that a lot on shows like The West Wing. Like, Aaron Sorkin's famous for it. But it's, like, where the camera's moving and they're talking the whole time. And then she had this thing where she's like, yeah, like, one time we had to do 30 takes. So we didn't get it right. Because we kept flubbing our dialogue. Because we're ridiculous and we're laughing. (laughs) (laughs) It's stressful to be late. Don't be late. Pace is a big deal. You have a brilliant ear and instinct for it. 
pay attention to it. I mean, ultimately, she's just kind of being like, yeah, trust yourself. And then she's like, I wish I trusted myself more and taken more risk on this episode of Disney Plus The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and then I watch, she mentions how her and Josh Dumel have like a kiss. This was funny in Mighty Ducks. And they hired an intimacy coordinator for this like really short kiss. And like Lauren Graham was like, so why are you here to the intimacy coordinator? And, and the intimacy coordinator was like, just to make sure there's consent and to make you feel comfortable. Oh, well, she was joking about that. But then she had that whole chapter earlier where she was like talking about intimacy coordinator, how it is ridiculous. But then there was like one time when like a director asked her to take her bra off like under the shirt, like for a scene. And she was so like, and oh. I wish that I had had like the bravery to say no. But then I also did say no. But I, like, was worried about it, and I was a little bit just like, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) This one wonder bra. And if she was like, consent, it's Josh Duhamel. Hello. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think she goes between being, like, horny Gen X, like, 50-year-old, in between, like, just kind of, like, your basic feminist. Well, the kind part of, of it is also like she's not Sharon Stone and she really hasn't had that many experiences where she's being asked to like compromise her Christianity yeah, on like, film. It's, it's like, like, sorry, well, no, were... the producer of Mighty Ducks <laughs> is not like inviting you up to his hotel like, room. Like every scene that shows she's like bundled up yeah. <laughs> like a puffer. It's He's like, so hockey. No. It's like Gilmore Girls is like so pumpkin spice, like sweater weather. Yeah. Like she's only wearing 18 sweaters and like knit hats. <laughs> And, and like, like her gourds. and Luke like... don't even like kiss till like I don't know when, but it takes a long ass time. Yeah, but I'm sure she wishes that maybe she had <laughs> some more like really racy stories of like. I Hollywood. mean, honestly, it make more sense because Amy Sherman Palladino is a lesbian question mark. Wait, she's that producer. She made Glimmer Girls and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and she's so huge fedora. I feel like she's so at the Emmys in the top hat. She sounds like a lesbian. But I also feel like I'm confusing her with um, what's going on? Linda Perry. Oh, SS. yes. Who's also always at the Grammys in a fedora. Yeah, just kind of fedora wearing folk. Okay, wait, a couple other teas that I did love. Almost teas, as we're calling this book. <laughs> the almost teas. The almost tea. I like the part where David Letterman told her that, like, to not try to talk to the audience too much. It, like, ruins the concentration. Like, really keep the focus between guest and host. And then also when she was on a, oh no, the Jay Leno, she had this like hilarious story that's so relatable about how she had a dented key lime Honda oh, and like yeah. Jay Leno pulled up next to her at a stoplight yes, and was, was just so like, funny. your taillight is out. <laughs> that's my Jay Leno impression. So New York. <laughs> it's a little more like your taillight is your, out. Your taillight is out. And she was so excited to finally tell this story when she gets on Jay Leno and she like tells the producer before She's about to go on that this is the story she wants to tell. And then the producer's like, wouldn't it be so much funnier if you were in like a Dodge Pacer instead of a Key Lime Honda? And she, to her credit in this book, she was like, Pacer was this kind of joke that everyone was making at the time because it was like kind of a notoriously boxy car. And she was like, honestly, like the joke was kind of already played out. And I'm kind of like ham to her for saying that the Pacer joke was played out. But then she was like, but then I said it anyway because I felt like I had to and I was pressured and it wasn't as funny because it wasn't as authentic. And... The rule is be yourself. The rule is be yourself. It's kind of like making fun of like a, um, what was that ridiculous PT car? PT Cruiser. Yeah, it's a PT Cruiser. No, it's so like, like a five PT... years later. It's like, yeah. we get it. No, like, if you made a PT are... Cruiser joke in like 2008, it would have been like, hilarious joke. Right. Wait, what's the joke car of today? Kia Soul, I would say, is already played out. So played out. Kia Soul jokes are so done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear any Kia Soul jokes on your next sitcom, ladies, okay? Send it to the graveyard. Okay, completely insane. I fully forgot about that show, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, that she was in that was so random. That's just about, like, people breaking into song. Yeah, and it's surrealist. Yeah. But there's like, also the other show that's called, like, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that's also, like, a musical Breaking show. out into song. These are, like, later CW shows when I stopped watching the CW. Yeah. So any younger folk out there, if you love that show, like write in, please. I think we can all relate to this passage. This is her just also being like inventing basic where like she's doing in her mind, I would say, like her love letter to Nora Ephron, where she's talking about like New York as the character. And the whole story is just about her walking the West Side and realizing that there's like Audi dealerships. 
After I moved to L.A. and returned to New York for visits, I began to interpret these encounters as an indicator of where I was in my life. There I'd be wandering the street in search of a toasted everything bagel, scallion cream cheese, when I'd suddenly run into that guy. Let's call him Blorg, because as far as I know, there isn't... As far as Irish I got like too excited. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't any real old boyfriend's name who might want to sue me. You know, Blorg. The one with the extensive fedora collection who never called me back. There he is on the corner of Bleecker Street. And what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> when I know he lives in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, what'd you buy? Blorg might say, There's nodding his plaid fedora head towards my shopping bag full of hair removal cream. Nothing, Blorg, I might say, tucking the bag under my soon-to-be hair-free underarm. Thanks for never calling me back. Fun hat. Gotta run. The way she's actually kind of just a CVS commercial. No. Um, I'm on the corner of, am I going to gain weight or should I buy these Entenmann's? (laughs) But just being like, "Uh, yes, do I need a razor and a makeup (laughs) for a random dinner with my ex that I wasn't planning on? Yes, I do. Like, thank you. Oh, concealer, pantyhose, Tums. <laughs> We've got that. Of course I ran into my ex in the checkout line at CVS while I was buying Naren tampons. Killing myself. So embarrassing. Yeah. No, She's she is like all of our favorite ads of like a woman shaving while she does the dishes. Yeah. Two more things that I just kind of want to like rip her to shreds for. Because <laughs> totally. this is the podcast where we savagely criticize women for their choices. But there's a part early in the book. Keep it brief. <laughs> <laughs> there's a part early in the book where she gets really self-righteous about like someone asking her to dye her hair for a role. And you're kind of just like, get over it. Where I'm going to rip her sh- to shreds is when she's just like going on about how just like some actors like get to go to the Vanity Fair party earlier and you're kind of like well I guess I would put that in the category of it's almost tea, tea. It's all, it is almost <laughs> because tea, it's like but... people have a window they're supposed to arrive at true so that they're not like backed up because they need to take all their photos on the like red carpet for the sign I guess she was being a little like uh my like I love when she's being self-deprecating like the Fred Siegel story but sometimes she's being like what is my life I can't believe like this sucks I have to get to the Oscars so early yeah I have to I have like a 640 window and it's weird no you're right it's like be grateful be, yeah sorry lead with be grace grateful. <laughs> and then the other part that I thought was a little bit weird and maybe speaks to why her career is random is that like later in the book she's like you know, after Gilmore Girls, like, yes, like, most of the roles I was, like, getting offered mm. were, like, for other mom roles or, like, other, like, aunt roles or best friend roles. And, like, I would like to, like, you know, step outside that a little bit. But then I got, like, too many offers for roles that just seemed like Breaking Bad sequels. Like, too much blood, too much murder, too much gore. I don't want to be covered, like, in guts for a show. And you're kind of, like, why are you rejecting the opportunity to do, like, a gritty thriller? Yeah, that was random. I couldn't tell if she was being, like, oh, more making fun of the shows for trying to rip off Breaking Bad. I thought she was saying, like, sorry, that's so not me. I'm not going to be in, like, a procedural, like, murder drama. And it's kind of just, like, why? That's actually just, like, why don't you be a fast-talking Lorelai in a procedural... Like, A, Deborah Messing did it in that show. Mysteries that, of Laura. That that's, was, our, again, that's our favorite, our favorite show. show. That was, like, soul-canceled before it came on. <laughs> But, like, or be more Jessica Biel and, like, be an insane thriller called The Sinner that's, like, on effects that no one has seen and you're always being, like, I'm so excited for season three. It's, like, you think you're better than Biel that you're not going to do a gritty thriller? Well, and it's insane. Just sidebar about that thrillers because, you know, they remade, like, a more, like, elite version just now on HBO that I was obsessed with. We, I did With Elizabeth that. Olsen. Without Biel. Yeah. They were, like, we need someone less Christian. Yeah. Anyway, the... HBO version is good. But you never saw the Beale version. No, Maya watched the Beale version. <laughs> and I was, was like, like no. <laughs> I was like watching it being like, I don't need to watch this. But like, obviously, I'm so like HBO pilled. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'll watch the Olsen I mean, version. Elizabeth Olsen is fucking dope. And she's playing it like hotter yeah. than like Beale is. Beale's well, playing Beale it more real. So, she's like, and I will say like J-Lo's often guilty of this as an actress where it's kind of like, you think you're being gritty, but you're still trying to be too pretty. And actually, that makes you yes. less pretty than Elizabeth Olsen, who is being gritty, but is actually being hot because she's being fucked up. Gritty and hot. Yeah. Anyway, my dad thought Lorelai was really hot. He once said, he said, very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren, you can take that to the bank. Celebrity Book Club. Bean Dad, The Dress. 
30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Segment, segment pants mix segment, segment boots. What does she eat? Uh, what does she wear? Anything in my closet, I guess. Uh, how does she live? Okay, what does she eat? Well, there's a part of the book where she does mention always ordering salmon salads and chicken soup. Yes, she's like 90s LA. And she was doing those like meals at every actress. And she mentions Jennifer Aniston's diet multiple oh, times in this book. That was so funny. So she talks about doing how in the 90s, everyone got basically like their zone diets and now everyone does juice and she's like guess we're all drinking juice because we have to get out the toxins of our 90s like but then people are still doing like factor and those other pre-man meals and like wait more almost tea she gave is that time she said she went on a date with the guy and he brought his like pre-made plastic dinner to a restaurant and had the restaurant heat it up for him and put it on a plate yeah which is mortifying so LA yeah I like, mean, so New Yorker getting to L.A. being like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Oh, that's a red flag. And then at the end of the book, she's being very, like, pandemic and just being like, I want to come out with a marmalade line. And then being like, wait, this is hard. Yeah, so she's being sourdough. But I also think that yeah. maybe she's still addicted to Jennifer Aniston and she's doing, like, the viral TikTok Jennifer Aniston friend salad that, like, I've seen 10 different versions on TikTok of, like, girls just being like, so this is the viral salad that Jennifer Aniston ate on the set of Friends every single day for six years, and it's what kept her thin. Let's make it. And, like, there's, like, seven different versions, and they're all just, like, chickpeas, lettuce, onions. Like, another one's just, like, feta, like, lettuce, lemon. It's, like, kind kind of of a Greek. A normal-ass, like, kind of Greek salad. 
is the vibe. So I do feel like she's making that. She's making that. And she says in here, Jennifer Aniston supposedly like smoked weed that didn't give you munchies. Because oh, like Jennifer was, Aniston is like a famous stoner. A rumor. I like to find that weed. It's kind of Rogue why Rose. I hardly smoke, man. Oh, fucked up. Because the munchies, man. The munchies get me too good, yeah, man. Trying to watch your way. Yeah, seriously. Totally, totally. <laughs> have you tried CBD? Yeah, I actually have. And? No, I'm actually into CBD. Like a half. I've actually been doing these half CBD, half THC gummies that friend of the pod and guest of the pod, Madeline Finney, sent to me. Oh, that's cool that she sent you gummies as like well, an influencer? Well, as an influencer. Oh, but then you never influenced. She never kind of like proceeded with the <laughs> influencing. And you guys, if you guys want to use code CBCthepod at yeah, microgummy.net for a 200% markup, feel free. Okay, so it's salmon salads, it's Jennifer Aniston salads, it's sushi with the gals. How does she live? She mentions French doors in her house. Yeah, I'm picturing Terry it's... Hatcher's house in Desperate Housewives. Mm, but more Buddha. Yeah, but also I think that Terry Hatcher is Buddha and even in Housewives, maybe, in the Probably. backyard. Buddha in the backyard and... I think it's creams and neutrals and like some weird patterns. Like there's a paisley pillow. There's yeah, like I a... think it's kind of comfy. Yeah, mm, I think it's not maybe as comfy as you think. Wow. I think it's maybe a little <laughs> bit more formal than you think and it's kind of weird. Oh, like awkwardly, it's actually the grandma from Gilmore Girls. And maybe there's like too many mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Not this hallway of mirrors. <laughs> In like kind of a okay. glam like 90s way, you know, when like a mirror has like too many like facets She definitely to it. like hired at some point a friend who's an interior designer because I feel like she's so like has a house and is like, I don't know what to do in here. Does she a have little? a gay best friend? She mentions just like how she has all these friends named Jen. She seems way more like girl. Yeah. It's Mae Whitman. It's Jen. She's it's literally Amen. so girl she doesn't even have a gay yeah, she's so 90s and just but like she, my there's sister. There's one line in the book when she was like, there's some like grabby pants Mick like. <laughs> Mick Blorg. Mick Blorg, Mick late for the Oscars where she's like, and feel free to use that as your drag name. <laughs> I think one LGBT. I think she is the reference. girl who like, I think one of her gens is bringing over her gay to like her LA home. Right. And she is like laughing so much with him, but is like not making the call to like text him for she, them to she, have solo lunch. She thought that Ryan was really funny when he came over for cinnamon margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> and they like all watch Mae Whitman's show with Retta that I love. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we're going to do weekly viewings of good girls. And then after three weeks, like everyone was everywhere and it was the holidays. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Because so- she just mentions these boyfriends and just like, I a feeling my relationship was ending. Do you think she's high bed chest, like yeah. blanket on chest at the foot of Hope bed? Hope chest. Yeah. Big bed. Is this crazy to say? Like four, four post? Four post or bed. Creepy. Get out of my okay. head. <laughs> and maybe we're just saying this because it's like Gilmore Girls is so like Connecticut coded. I, but I don't think it's as Connecticut as no. Gilmore Girls is, but... Because I think because I think she walks out into her garden with the Buddha with the mug and is like, <sighs> yeah, and has you know Big those sign. like wiry lawn chairs, <laughs> sips tea after you drop that bombshell. You know those wiry lawn chairs. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> yeah, she has them. Damn. <laughs> Shots fired. Absolute shots fired. I actually don't know what you're talking about. Okay. And it's like a cast photo of her and Josh Duhamel, like from, oh no, it's the script she directed framed from her Mighty Ducks. <laughs> from Disney Plus Mighty Ducks season two. Yeah. <laughs> directed by Lauren Graham. What Good does she her. wear? She like has a standing, well, she used to have a standing Barney's date with like her sister. And I love that she's like talks about how it's like when she was most famous like probably season three Gilmore Girls she was like getting coerced by like the big Hollywood machine into getting like the hottest bag at Fred Siegel or whatever or Barney's that orange that orange bag and she's like later in my career like I understood what to look for at Barney's so I feel like she's just getting kind of the most boring normal stuff at Barney's she's getting like a cropped leather jacket she gets like a crossbody YSL bag so she's getting kind of like nicer stuff and I do think she's being like 
black is luxury. Leather is luxury. Yes. She Cream, is being like cashmere. A good, a, yes, cashmere. She's like, my mother never told me, but like, get a good cashmere sweater. Like a good. So it's like, she's being like, that's what you just spent your money on. And like, it's like a good pair of jeans that fit. Paper okay. denim and cloth. Yeah, it's very paper denim. And she's like, you wear them around and they feel good. Yeah. Good boots. Sexy, good boots, but they're not like too tall. No, she's not doing a full riding boot, but she is tucking her jeans into a mid calf, or like slightly below mid calf. Right, and pumpkins, spice stuff. <laughs> she's putting pumpkins in there too, and then like shaggy, comfy, yumpy beanie. <laughs> okay, but I feel like that's more Gilmore Girls than her, but that's also her. I guess when she comes to New York, but now she's letting the locks flow. Do you think she has one of those kind of like train conductory hats? Yes. That our that friend, cat was, that wearing our friend cat was wearing yesterday. <laughs> okay, hairstyles cat from yesterday. <laughs> Actress vibes. Yeah. Brunette. Brunette, actresses, sunglasses, train hat. Done. Huh, who are you in who the book? Who are you in book? the book? So many people. It's like, are you Josh Dumel and Mighty Ducks? Are you her dad's friend? Are you her? Are you Blorg? <laughs> <laughs> Are, are you like the executive assistants who are like being like, oh my God, I love this movie you're writing about Boston. Are you the intern who brings a tray of drinks backstage at, was it Letterman or was it someone else? Was it Fallon? And then like, she was like some like lesbian PA came in with drinks. <laughs> and then she was like, because back in the old days, in the Johnny Carson days, oh, people like, were being so Don Draper. And she's like, Oh, that was that part. Okay. But you know what? I didn't imbibe a martini before I went on because I wanted to have all my wits about me. Well, because she's very like, and I haven't inhaled any of the fluffy stuff like in a while. But then Says she ate so many, like, weed cookies in Amsterdam with her friend, like, Kathy. No, her friend, Jen. Jen. One of her 20 Jens. I guess, <laughs> I guess we're just we're one, one of the, the 20, 20 Jens. <laughs> Hashtag one of the 20 Jens. Donate here on Giving Tuesday. No, we're some of the Jens, and we're just being like, oh, are you going to Lauren's, like, 50th in Vancouver? And we're all just like, no, I'm going, I'm going. Like, should we room together? And you're like... And then oh, I'm like, I oh, myself. I actually kind of already got myself a hotel. It's fine. But like, whatever. You should just get a hotel room. We're certainly not her like weird rescue pup mochi. No. The book got so boring then. So getting into rating, I guess, mm. this book. Like, I do love her. But this book is like giving a little 2.8 pumpkin spices. Like, it's kind of a fast read. And like, it kind of like should be funnier than it is in this way. But then I'm there is, there this, are really funny I'm parts. I'm this book like a 3.06. Ultimately, mm. 3.06 backwards 3. caps on a barista. So not quite a 3.1. Okay. And here's why. It's because I actually did appreciate the tea on like waiting in line to get into the Vanity Fair party. And I appreciated and the Fred tea on Siegel. Nicole Kidman having her own makeup artist that she books for the year. And like Gwen Stefani shopping at Fred Siegel. And there's like an honesty there that I thought was great. I'm a little bit like, mm, why this book did not need to be written. Like, I think I come away from this being like, I bet I would have loved her first book of essays better. Maybe. Because the title of this book is literally Have I Told You This Before. Yeah. So, No, I mean, she's admitting that the book is a little bit like, maybe this is a story you've heard and it's kind of whatever. But then like kind of talking about the part where I'm like, well, I just do love your life as kind of like a TV actress who everyone loves, but like you're not insanely famous. Completely insane. She recorded the audiobook at, CDM Studios. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. The one that we go to when we're not here. Yeah. Isn't that insane? That's insane. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, we recorded the <laughs> Melissa Etheridge episode at that studio. So if you listen to Lauren Graham's audio book. We're in the same place. And then listen to that, you'll probably notice really similar acoustics. Yeah. So... Anyway, we love you, Lauren, and like, mm, coffee, please, We're now. We're literally obsessed with you. <laughs> yeah. In, mm, inject this book into my veins, please. <laughs> Best... Best. This episode of our podcast, wait, are we doing a podcast? Yes, we are, was produced by none other than Darby Masters, who I could absolutely not live without. She's basically like my guardian angel and the principal of the best middle school you've ever been to all rolled into one. 
our supervising producer is Abuza Far. If he was single, I'd let you know, ladies. Unfortunately, he's not, but he's still super kind and he makes an amazing cup of coffee, which I'm going to need after this because I'm already exhausted. Our executive producer is Christina Everett, who's, mm, I don't know, one of the smartest smartiest. Okay, yeah, I can't speak because I've been recording a podcast for an hour. Can you tell? One of the smartest, funniest people that I have ever met. And if anyone ever deserves to win a Golden Globe for podcasting, it's her. Our theme song was produced, sung, and written by Stephen Phillips Horse because I guess he's a multi-hyphenate, which is what my agent calls people who are more talented than me. Okay, stop rubbing it in. Our podcast was originally created by Prologue Project because, yes, everything has an origin story. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about our podcast, because, well, you're listening to it, go to patreon.com slash cbcthepod, and, yeah, you can subscribe. Please give money for the poor. Money to those who need it, because, yeah, hi, I want to go on vacation this year, so buy a t-shirt. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And, hey, I do, too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. right. 